Bloody Elbow presents the sixth round post-fight show, which gives you a rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on this weekend's UFC event. Hey everybody, welcome back to the sixth round post-fight show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Eddie Mercado. We're here once again coming to you guys from the close of this UFC Apex 64 card going down in Las Vegas, Nevada. Headlined by a woman's strawweight bout, Amanda Lamosh, putting a third round TKO beaten on Marina Rodriguez. And uh, wrapping up an okay night of fights, a pretty okay, pretty all right. Yeah, well, here's it's weird because we had nine finishes on 11 fights. Yeah. But like it kind of didn't feel that way for some reason. Yeah, I think it's mostly because the stakes for most of the fights weren't very high. And then. Like we the the end of that Lemos Rodriguez fight was was cool, a little fast, but you know quality. But the fight itself wasn't very good, so it just kind of felt like a real mixed bag. Yeah, yeah, I don't know, but I mean, I'm I'm glad we got as many finishes as sure. we did, and of course that comes at the cost of a lot of filler for from the actual programming. Um, but it just didn't feel like a a a, a car that's that was extra exciting. Although, I mean, I can't, I can't complain. Like the, no, the, the that's the thing. Finishes were great. I'm already forgetting about it, but I can't complain about it. You know? Yeah. So I feel what? like I should feel better about the car. Like I should be yeah. more excited about it. That is how I, I feel I too. I don't know why. Yeah. It just, let's, let's jump in before it leaves my mind completely. Let's jump in and talk about this main event of Andalemos. Marina Rodriguez, very, uh, you know, for a moment there, kind of doing their own Esparza Namayunas uh, 2 impression. Oh, that's, I was thinking the same thing. (laughs) You know, we had like 10 strikes thrown between them or something in the first round. And then, you know, things started to turn around a little bit. Lemos gets that trip takedown in the second round and, you know, you know, she it wasn't exciting. She was stalling on top. Rodriguez was stalling from the bottom. But we at least you got a clear winner for round two. Yeah. And then round three comes, and uh, we finally see why Rodriguez has been so tentative. Usually, she's a pretty volume lead the dance kind of striker, mm-hmm. and uh, she's been real tentative all fight because she steps in and starts trying to throw a little more against Lemos, and Lemos just blasts her with a huge counter shot, puts her in all kinds of trouble, rubber legs, sheets five or six shots uncontested. I get why the, the fight was stopped there. In a, in a vacuum, it's probably a fine stoppage. You know, you're you're turning away on your feet. You're covering. You're not really doing anything to engage with the fighter in front of you, eating some big shots. It's, you know, it it, it is what it is. It's just usually in the broader context of MMA, a standing TKO is after, like, 30 seconds to a minute of continuous beating. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's a, I'll say this. If you stop intelligently defending yourself, the fight should be stopped. I, I agree. I, I guess that in a vacuum, I think it's probably fine because she definitely stopped intelligently defending herself. And Amanda Lamosh was not about to stop hitting her with really huge hooks. 
Yeah, uh, I'll go as far as to say it's an excellent stoppage. Fantastic. You know what? I I'm not gonna uh, to argue against that would make me sound like a bloodthirsty savage. So <laughs> I'm only gonna say just a little bit that like you know I think usually if if it had been a men's fight it probably wouldn't have stopped there. It probably would have stopped another. If- if it had been a different straw weight that doesn't pack the same sort of wallop that limo packs, then they probably wouldn't let it go on longer. But that could also be. But to to I mean, you know, that should also come with the credit to Marina Rodriguez that she should get a little credit as somebody who's never been stopped before. You know, and I, I felt I'm, like she was in trouble when uh when when I didn't see the volume coming from her in that opening round. Yes, that's when I, I agree. was. Uh oh. I mean, she has no, she has nobody to blame here but herself on this. Yeah, she was um, like I, I definitely understand being respectful, mm-hmm. um, but like the name of the game is offense here. Yeah, and she just wasn't. She had one moment where Lemos botched a takedown in the first round at the very end of it, and she got on top and maybe landed one sweet elbow. Mm-hmm. But other than that, uh, she just. She really didn't have much for Lamos. No. She she froze, and the thing with Lamos is, is that yeah, I mean, Marina Rodriguez was always going to have to eat some big shots. She is not the best defensive fighter in the world. Her boxing offense, especially, tends to be a lot of her blitzing forward and eating some strikes on the way in. She was going to have to take these shots, but the path to victory for her was about testing Amanda Lamos's gas tank was about being like, okay, well, I'm going to eat a couple big shots, but let's see if I can put a pace on you that you can't keep. Right. Because we've seen Lamos flag that way in the past. You know, there was her debut against uh, Leslie Smith. The Angela Hill fight got a bit dicey late in it. Uh, you know, you know, we've seen we've seen fighters who can go multiple rounds with Lamos test her at least a little and, like, get her tired. And you have five rounds here for the first time in Lamosh's career. You've gotta, you've gotta put drag her into a fight that tests that. And to not do that, to let her have the slowest paced possible fight for two whole rounds, is just to give her the ability to punch you really hard in every round. Yeah, and like I said, I I understand showing respect and being you know hesitant, not hesitant, but cautious. Yeah, yeah, but. She kind of froze. Yeah, I mean, any sane person it would seem like freeze. she froze. Any sane person would freeze, would be cautious. It's just we expect fighters to not be sane, you know. You're did you see her yeah. going? Uh, did you see uh, Rodriguez going for that Nogi Ezekiel from the bottom? <laughs> yes. That was, <laughs> not gonna work. Shout but. out to Alexi Olenek, by the yeah. way. Bless him for trying, but that was not. <laughs> that was not going to be the the fight finishing the fight changing moment. No. Um. Yeah, great win for Lemos, and uh, you know, too, like that she's put her she she is. It's especially lucky for her getting this kind of win because she is a very easily sellable title challenger as somebody who is so dangerous. Oh yeah, especially after that. Yeah. And like her her recent loss against Andrage, like that's Andrage. You yeah. know, she's she's not even in the division right now. Exactly. So 
That that feels because you know for Rodriguez she's already got a loss to Carlos Barza out there, um, and you know so like there's a little bit of like okay yeah Rodriguez is she's fun she's a very busy volume oriented striker that it can make a fun fight for in the future and that uh, as far as the loss was it was a contestable loss you could say she won it but Lamos is the fresh dangerous fighter where. You know, if she faces Esparza, if she faces Wele Zhang, if she faces Rose Nama Yunus, I'm going to be interested to see what comes out of those fights. So Yeah, definitely. I mean, she's must-see now. Yep. Someone that packs that much power at this weight class, it's it's very rare. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited that she's here. So really good, really good solid win for Lamosh, really stamping her reputation as a counterpuncher that you can't take chances with. And uh, that'll make her a lot of fun up at the top of this division because a, a lot of the women who are functionally fighting at the elite levels of this division do so through volume. They do so, you know, Yan Zhaonan, your Weile Zhang, your, your, your Ioannas, although I realize she's retired now. Even Esparza has made her bones over the years, like, I'm going to be busy, I'm going to go after you. So... Being a heavy counterpuncher like that should make for some fun fights. And I think she has an underrated ground game. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that getting caught in that standing uh, arm triangle uh, definitely kind of gives her this veil over her grappling. Mm-hmm. That, uh, you don't really – it's like, oh, she hits really hard. Yeah, well, she got caught in that standing submission. And it's like you can't really – Yeah, that, that doesn't hold much water. You can't. You no. can't weigh that very heavily, in my opinion. It's kind of like I, a freak accident. I remember on the night we were talking about that, and I was my thought was just like, she didn't even she didn't even you know you can credit this lack of grappling whatever, but in that position she didn't even realize that she was going to be in any potential danger right there until it was too late. It was not some sort of like, oh, her grappling failed her, and you know yeah, you can say a little bit of a lack of understanding of the danger of that position, but it's a really unnatural position, even in the context of a fight. It never happens. Yeah. So like, you know, you're training or whatever. And, um, you know, it's very common to, to work your triangle defense, your arm bar defense, your rear naked choke defense, your Kimura defense. Like we see these moves often, but very rarely, I, at least in, in my experience or my, what I've seen do, very rarely do people work on their standing arm triangle escape. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, and you could even argue that to spend a lot of time on it would be kind of a waste of your time. Like right. you, the chances of this coming up in a fight are so low that you've got other stuff. You should be working on your arm bar defense. You're going to face a lot more arm bars in your career. Yeah. But whatever it is. So yeah. I have that to say her, her ground game's underrated. She seems pretty yeah. complete and I, I'm really excited that she's, She's still right there at the top, knocking on the door of a title shot. Yeah. Which, by the way, Asparza is fighting Whaley next next week. So, yeah. Lamosh against the winner of that fight, I'd be, I'd love to see it. Whoever it is, you know. And they're gonna all, they should all be on the about the same, you know. Assuming nobody gets terribly injured, they should all be on the same recovery trajectory for a next fight. So, yes, exactly. All right, that brings us to a welterweight bout. Neil Magny, Daniel Rodriguez in the co-main event. And this was, you know, 
this was the fight I hoped for out of D-Rod. I picked him going in. I was like, you know, I think he can be heavy-handed enough. I think he can sit on some strikes, make his moments count in this fight. But that just makes the win for Magny more impressive here. Because he started getting tuned up, and he came right back, and he took it to Rodriguez, and he got the finish. Um, this was uh, a perfect representation of where their FIQ is in their careers. Mm-hmm. Magny is just a smarter fighter, a more experienced fighter, especially at this level. Um, yep. D-Rod had this in the bag, and he blew it with one one poor decision he made in the yeah. third round. He got top position. He he stung Magny. Magny shot in on a poor takedown. Uh, botched it, ended up pulling guard. Rodriguez is in t- on top in the full guard and just decided to let Magny up. Like, he just yeah. kind of him there, and he would have won this fight. But he yeah. let Magny up, and Magny wasted no time clinching up, got the takedown, and uh, ended it, up it, sniffing out of Dars. It's especially a bad, a bad decision given just how much Magny's ground game off of his back has been a huge liability for him over the years. Like Sure. If you're going to tangle, if you're going to grapple with Magni, and that's a dangerous proposition, him on his back is where he's at his worst. Right. And that was probably a pretty safe spot for D-Rod to be in. And he backed out of it, and I get why he did. He's landing the heavy shots. He's not a comfortable grappler. He doesn't want to be there. I get why he made that decision, but yeah, you're right. It was the wrong decision. I will also say, too, he had the other FIQ point that you could make even earlier in this fight is that pretty early on he got he was going to the body really well and he got really tired of getting jabbed up by Magni and he started uh, initiating clinches himself mm. and that was that's always the kind of catalyst for like. Neil Magny, you might even you might not do poorly in these clinches, but he is going to start sucking the energy out of you every second of this fight that you let him clinch with you. And, and it, seem, it seems like the longer the fight goes, the better Magny gets at finding his entries to the clinch. Also, mm-hmm. yeah. Man, so this was this was wild because Magny yeah. had the real dominant opening round. The, the the live betting odds swung drastically in his favor favor like minus 700 or greater and then uh after that you know solid second round from rodriguez it yeah. was uh, i think it was minus 120 a piece going into the third round so it he was got, anybody's fight he got some good coaching he he started going right back to the body and once he started going to the body the head opened up and just him being willing to sit in that middle distance and say okay well i might get hit by a one two from you but you're gonna get hit by a one two from me it was a that's a great trade for for Rodriguez in those situations. Yeah, that linear movement from Magny when he was being defensive, just moving mm-hmm. straight back with his chin up. I mean, he was flirting with danger there. It's always been a problem for him. It's just that so many people get so unhappy, just so frustrated by his length and his jab that they don't have you know, they're not willing to stick with just like, just walk him down and pressure him. You know, Santiago Ponzinibbio did this forever ago, and he just took Magni to pieces. Lorenz Larkin did this forever ago. He took Mag, you know, he just pulled them apart. You can do this, but you have to be comfortable with the idea that 
you're just going to ha- get jabbed in the face a bunch by this guy that you can't reach until you back him up. Yeah, and avoid the clinch like the plague. Yeah, do not rush in so much that you're like, okay, I'm going to clinch up instead because that's that's where he'll eat you alive. So, I loved great. his call out too. He called yeah. out Gilbert Burns. Absolutely, that it, is enticing. Yeah, it's it's the kind of fight where I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, you just lost to Shavkat Rachmanov. That Burns fight is probably not really the fight. You know, maybe fight Sean Brady instead. But absolutely, if you're Magni in this situation, call out Gilbert Burns because you just got your 20. You are the all-time winningest welterweight. You are 35. If you can jump line at any point, jump the line. Yeah, it's time. He's got solid wins. He's been around forever. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think he took offense to that gatekeeper comment that he brought me. But, I mean... He's, he has been the gatekeeper for the top 10 of this division for like eight years now. If he wants yeah. to take offense to it, he can, but he's got to stop losing every fourth fight and, you know, that'll go away. Yeah. I mean, he has been alternating wins and losses uh, for a while now, but yeah. I, I mean, he's a solid fighter though. He's, he's just a little frustrating sometimes yeah. to watch. He's very good. He's very tough. He is a legitimate test to are you an elite fighter in the welterweight division? Can you beat Neil Magny? That's that's the question. That's how you find out. I hope he gets the Burns fight. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Even if it's just to have another really top-shelf grappler go out there and tie him in a pretzel again and have him, you know, realize the same lesson he learned against Damian Maya and RDA and... uh, Rachmanov and Kiesa, like I'm still up for it, you know. Give him the chance to keep trying these fights, and he's been around forever, and he might as well he might as well get the that golden opportunity to see if he can snatch it away and make himself a contender. Yeah, I mean it's possible. We've seen Michael Bisping win the belt, so sure, yeah, it's absolutely possible. All right, that brings us to a featherweight bout our fixed fight of the evening. Damn. I mean, you got to say it, right? You got to say it. Like, 30, 40 minutes before this fight, during the event, when this event opened, Shailan Nurembeke was a minus 190 favorite. By the time they hit the octagon, he was a minus 360 favorite. In this fight between two dudes that nobody has any reason to be, oh, I'm going to, like, Nerdenbeke has lost, like, four fights by first-round submission and six fights by first-round stoppage. There's no reason Derek Minner couldn't tap him out. There's no reason that either of them should be a huge betting favorite. And then they walk out, and Derek, it's immediately ob- obvious that Derek Minner's left knee is blown out. Like, people knew. There's no way, you know, it, the commission has to be investigating this fight. There's no way to think about, to look at that odd swing and then the fight we saw and not think that it was not a known factor for a bunch of gamblers beforehand. Yeah, I mean, it, the evidence uh, definitely points in that direction. Yeah. And we've seen it before also. Mm-hmm. I think it was one of the um, 
What card was it? I think it was one of the China cards. It was the Korea one of the Korea cards. It was Bang Koops, the most Joe Silva booking of all Joe Silva bookings. The goofy ass names. But uh Yeah. It was the Bang Koons card and and uh uh Bong actually I mean is it's pronounced Bong. I should actually be a little better about that, but uh Bong ended up doing a bunch of jail time. And wow. so did the people that paid him off. They paid him like a hundred grand to throw his fight with uh, Kuntz. And I think he actually got cold feet and didn't. But the money got paid no anyway, so he it ended up. Yeah, you know. this is um this is like insider trading kind of. Yeah, like it's a, even if even I, I will will I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt that Derek Minner told some friends ahead of time or some family members or his camp. I mean, unfortunately too, his coach is James Krause who runs his own sports betting service. Holy shizen. So like, the plot thickens. Zane. Yeah. I'm willing to even, I'm willing to say that Derek Miner might be totally innocent in all this, that he told some people and the word got around within a few circles and people started betting heavy against him while he had every intention of going out and fighting his hardest and trying to win. But the result is still what looks and feels very much like a fixed fight. You don't seem that mad at Derek Minner. I, what do you mean? Like You don't seem upset with him. It, it, I mean, what? I mean, I'm... It's 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 not good. You, you roasted T.J. Dillashaw. You crucified sure. him at the sure. stake. Sure, yeah. yeah. Derek Minner gets a pass. What is this? Well, T.J. Dillashaw is it not the whole, same? He's making a lot more. T.J. Dillashaw is making a lot more money too. That uh, doesn't matter, in. Zane. It's the yes, principle. It does matter. It always it's the matters. principle. No, no, no. You were morality saying that is a sh- morality is a scale. <laughs> no, you're saying that these are fixed fights because guys go out here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but like you you seem to not be as as upset about Derek Minner for doing the same exact thing that TJ Dillashaw did. The the easy the 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 easy the easy uh, answer here is that TJ Dillashaw made it unequivocally clear what happened after his bout. Because he went out there and was like, oh, yeah, I got injured six months ago. Sorry, everybody. My bad. I thought I'd take this fight anyway. We still don't know what happened with Minner. So I'm willing to. Okay, I'll give to, you that. I'm willing to shade this a little into, I don't know. I I assume that he thought he could somehow compete. I, I, I mean, I have to think that everybody, the, the betting line tells me that Whatever he was telling everybody, it was obvious to a lot of people that he could not compete at all. But it is kind of wild that if his left knee was totally blown out, that he went out and threw two really hard body kicks. I wonder if that's the case or if he was actually paid off to, to yeah. you know, I, take an injury or something. I got to wonder, too. Like, it it sucks. And, uh, you know, I... I the UFC should be looking into it. The commission should be looking into it. I expect Derek Minner is going to lose his, his job in the UFC over this. That's also part of the reason that I'm less like vocal about this is because this is his third straight loss. And this is shady enough that the UFC will probably just be like, okay, you're gone. Easy, easy call. 
Yeah. But, uh, What's the craziest part is James Krause is his coach. That is wild. Yeah. It's not mm. good. No. It's not, it, it, this is why that kind of coaching, that kind of gambling intersports relationship is so fraught. Like once you know that, you, every time something like this happens, you'll be like, "Yeah, what's really going on here?" Because you know, I we've been around a while now. I'm the last person to be like, "Oh, that was a fixed fight." To be like, oh yeah, something weird happened in that fight. That was fixed. I'm always on yeah. the like, no, he just got hit really hard. Why would you ever fix right. a fight by getting knocked out? That's a terrible idea. But um, when you see betting lines move like that on an undercard bout, a UFC like no no name undercard bout right before a fight, that is your big red flag. That is the alarm bell. Hey, we should watch this fight really closely. Because something weird is going on with it. And when you see that fight follow it up, like, yeah, it's, you know, it is a full on, okay, we should all, everybody should consider this a highly suspicious fight, a highly do suspicious. You, do you think that either the UFC or whichever athletic commission um, should enforce? more stringent physicals for fighters oh yeah i mean absolutely they we should be you know the the the, the process i realize they can't do everything but like at the very least if a you if the ufc has they, they should have a medical history of their fighters might not catch something like this i don't know how badly minner's been you know when this this injury had happened or if it's ever happened before but the very least, they should have a a, uh, a medical history on their fighters to know, like, you know, with TJ Dillashaw. Okay, you've had you've had th- two surgeries on this fight on this shoulder, and you're entering a fight again. We need a full, like, MRI on this shoulder. We right. need you to you be have able to get medically cleared. Yeah. Every time we have to be checking this shoulder. Every you know, if you've had a knee replaced. We're gonna be looking at your knee every time, you know. Like I say, it might not have caught this. I don't know what kind of injury it is or what he's had done, happened to him before, but I at least think that that should be happening. Yeah, this fight stinks. Yes, yes <laughs> stinks really like does. fish. It's a te- it is just like it. It's you know, it, it is. It deserves to be investigated, and if somebody ends up getting a huge fine or going to jail over this, I will not be shocked. Right. All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Tajir Ulanbakov, Nate Manis, and um, yeah, I mean, Manis' drop to flyweight seemed like a bad idea before this, and seemed like a really bad idea coming out of it. Yeah, he used to fight at featherweight. He's like Bryce Mitchell is has a shorter reach and is shorter than Nate Manis. Yeah, I don't know. I guess he's like trying to fix things via weight cut. Yeah, it's never and a good sign. It's not. And losing to Umar Nurmagomedov the way he did, nothing about that fight screamed, "Oh, you're too small to compete here." And nothing about this fight screamed, oh, you're too small to compete at play. Like, what, is he going to go to atom weight now? (laughs) (laughs) He's got to go up. He's got to go to lightweight. Yeah, you got taken down by a single leg, and then you got back up because you're a pretty big dude at flyweight, and you 
walked right into a really serious high elbow guillotine. You know? Yeah. That's that's not a size problem. Cool no. finish from <laughs> it's not. It's it's a technique issue. Yeah. You know, credit to him for making it this far into the UFC. Yeah. Um, there's just levels to it. That's yep. all. Yeah, that's all. And Bantamweight, you should go back to Bantamweight. Don't kill yourself to lose fights like this. It's not it's not doing you any favors. So great win for Ulanbakov though. That that choke was really cool. Yeah, with- high elbow guillotine. Um and then he transitioned to lock it up tighter. He made all the perfect adjustments, mm-hmm. went to more of a, a, a standard uh, kind of like a five-finger guillotine to get the standing submission. Super cool. We got a standing TKO and a standing submission on this. Yeah. Card. Yeah. Pretty some, cool. Like I, I, we're both in the same place. We're like, there, there's some cool stuff that happened on this card. It just, yeah. Uh, that brings us to a catchweight, a lightweight catchweight bout. Grant Dawson, Mark Madsen, really impressive fight from Grant Dawson. He got clipped immediately out of the gate. By Mark Madsen, uh, seemed like he was in a bunch of trouble. Then he just out wrestled him and out grappled him for two and a half rounds. It's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Madsen's mo, uh, yeah. excuse the pun, but the, his mo is uh, is wrestling. You know, he's an Olympic oh, medalist. Oh, no. we cannot. Nobody can call him Marco Madsen anymore. It's no. just got to be Mark Madsen. The no, it's gone. it's it's Mark Uno. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Credit to Dawson for for having the wherewithal to shoot his desperation takedowns, not and and stick to it, and also pull it off, and, yeah. and be able to implement his grappling. I mean, that's tough well, to d- deal with. He talked about it going in too. That like he had a game plan scout, game plan scouted for Madsen, which was like this guy's a Greco dude. He's not used to de- to defending. Like single leg low takedowns, so I'll work on taking him down from low sing- from low takedowns from low singles and stuff like that. And damn, that worked, you know. I uh, oh, and, I, and then those those brutal calf kicks, were yeah, devastating. Yeah. That was that he he hit a couple big things that I I had seen coming into this that I thought could be big for for Madsen, which is A, Madsen's not a good scrambler on the ground. He doesn't really have a grappling game to go to. And B, he's just a really stiff striker. Really tense, really tight in his, you know, in in his technique. Mm -hmm. And, like, Dawson was able to to pretty quickly find ways to outscramble him on the mats, and then, yeah, standing just took those calf kicks right there for what they were. And Madsen's like, he's not in any position to start checking stuff or to pull his leg back from anything or anything like that. He's trying to be firmly planted, trying to be tightly wound, ready to deliver those kinds of right hands that hurt Dawson right out of the gate. So. Oh, great fight. Great fight. And uh, called out Tony Ferguson. I do not want to see that at all. Uh no. Ferguson already moved up to welterweight. I'm not even that happy about that, but I'd much rather see Ferguson at welterweight fighting like Robbie Lawler or somebody than to see him down fighting Grant Dawson for the 14 spot in the UFC lightweight rankings. Like, I don't need that. 
Ferguson should be in uh, Legends fights only from yeah. here on out. But put Dawson in with like uh, Mateus Gamrot. Mm-hmm. What happens there? You know. Sure. But we had a fight coming up with uh, oh um, Armand Soyukin against Damaris Magulov. Put him in against the the winner of that. Put him in in against the loser of that. What's put Jalen it, Turner doing? Yeah, put him in against Jalen Turner. Those are the fights I want to see Grant Dawson in. I don't need to see him fight Tony Ferguson. Let him fight Drew Dober. Sure, sure. All right. That brings us to a woman's flyweight bout. Miranda Maverick, Shanna Young, and uh, yeah, I didn't know why they booked this fight when they booked it the first time. I don't know why they booked it when they booked it the second time. And uh, after seeing it, it was not a fight that needed to happen, but a great win for Maverick. Yeah, solid win. She yeah. did everything right here. She won in all facets of, of the of the game. She her stand up was better. Her wrestling was better. Her positional grappling was far superior. Credit credit here though to Shanna for, you know, hanging tough. I'll say, mm-hmm. yeah, and surviving. Um, but she was just rendered defensive for the whole fight. Yeah, she, you know, there's there's something to there's some tips for for Maverick to work on where like early standing exchanges. She doesn't have really a transition game to get her from outside to the clinch yet. Still, she lunged in and walked onto a lot of strikes early from Young, but once she got to the clinch, like she just yeah, Young's Young's wrestling and grappling game were not prepared to deal with Maverick at all. I will say this though, she uh, Maverick is um, pretty crafty with the way she'll botch a takedown, but then yeah. connect with some hands to save face on it and, and yeah. make the most of the range that she did acquire. That is so. that is the thing that I think you know if you're her coach is looking at that, that's something they should probably start like getting her to really key in on. Is like uh, Brett Johns used to be really great at this. Um, or he is still great at it. He's just not in the UFC anymore. But like presenting your opponent with the idea that you're going to lunge in and you're going to get give somebody the same look that you give for shooting a takedown as you you will for landing a combination. And they have to choose what they think is coming. You know, it's either going to be the punches or it's going to be the takedown and you don't know which it is. And Maverick could do a lot to really start fainting on a lot more takedowns and landing overhands and mm-hmm. start fainting on a lot more one twos and diving in on takedowns and just mixing up that exchange so that, you know, young early on Maverick was pretty much just selling out on, I'm going to walk in on one twos and she was getting hit hard by young. Yeah, no, I mean, I love that philosophy of fighting. I yeah. love that strategy. It reminds me of, um, of, when Kevin Randleman knocked out Mirko Krokop, mm-hmm. he faked the shot and came up top with a hook to drop him yeah. and got on top and pounded him out. Vicious knockout, RIP to the late Kevin Randleman. Um, but it's such a, it's so smart, you know? You, yeah. you fake the shot, you get your opponent to scoot their hips back and drop their hands, and then you can you can swing your punch way faster than they can bring their hands back up to cover their face. So, you know, if you develop some timing with it, it can be extremely effective. And then you can start doing the inverse, yeah. right? You can then start swinging and then duck under and, and, and get them guessing, keep them, keep them on their toes, so yeah. to speak. 
I think so. Yeah, I think this is you know it was a great fight for Maverick. She got to show off the best parts of her game, and she got a little couple cues of where she can find more success going forward. Afterwards, she called out Molly McCann. Molly's got a fight booked already, but obviously, if McCann comes out of that fight with a win, love to see it. Smart, very smart, um, strategic move for Miranda. She knows that Molly has a buzz. She's mm-hmm. been calling her out for a while. It's a winnable fight. Yep. And uh, maybe she can steal some of her shine. Yeah. Go after it. All right. That brings us to a catchweight bout. Another catchweight bout. Mario Batista, Benito Lopez. And you want to talk like one-sided ass kicking. Mario Batista absolutely stole Benito Lopez's lunch money out there. Shoved him in a locker. Dumped his books. Like, just a complete bullying in that fight. Yeah, it almost looked like Benito Lopez has been away from the game for like three years or something. Mm-hmm. He might have to <laughs> rethink the idea that uh, ring rust doesn't exist. Yeah, he, he, he was just a step behind. He, he didn't seem ready for the real-time fight speed, and Batista was. Yeah. And Batista, too, like... Man, he took such a good game to Benito Lopez. You know, they're out there trading some low kicks for a bit, trading some jabs for a bit. And then Batista just started digging to the body hard. And once the moment he started doing that, Lopez didn't know where to go. He didn't know what to block. He didn't know what was coming after him. Soon after that, Batista comes in with that takedown, and then he just absolutely schooled Lopez on the ground, too. Just a really good, complete performance from Batista showing what, you know, my my good my good friend and co-host Connor Rebush, don't let ever let him hear me say that, uh, goes on about. But like body punching is so underutilized in this sport. And it need it is like the the last great frontier of MMA to get you can you can get fighters having to think about all sorts of things if they have to think about blocking their body from punches as well as their face. Okay, and, yeah. yeah, Batista showed that. So, no, it was a phenomenal performance, and his his ground game was wicked too. Mm-hmm. He almost he almost hit a uh, a straight arm bar on Benito yeah. Lopez. Like, you you really can see cool. the grimace on Lopez's face, and he was like, I don't want to tap to this. Yeah, I can't tap is, to this. That is such a bully strong man sub. Like, that's such a heavyweight-ass submission to be out there on a, as a bantamweight hitting that. Yeah. It, it, was, it was mean, and I like to see it. Yeah. And that, um, that submission was wicked, too. The inverted yeah. triangle arm bar. Right? That was nasty. That was great. Great fight from Batista. Start getting him back up there in the edges of the top 15. I mean, you know, there's dudes like uh, Hani Barcelos. They're like Adrian Yanez out there. Like, you know, I know Yanez is on a roll, but he hasn't beaten anybody as good as Batista yet. His last win was over Tony Kelly, you know? That sounds perfect. Yeah. That would be a banger. That would be an absolute banger, so... Good, great win for Batista. Love to see it. And uh, rough loss for Lopez. You know, man's been out for a long time and just walked back in for this. Hopefully he gets a little easier bounce back next time. That brings us to a woman's strawweight bout. Pollyanna Viana, Jin Yu Fry. And um, Viana tuned her up. Who saw this coming? 
I I picked Viana, but I picked Viana just because I thought she could do more over 15 minutes just by being scrappy and scrambly and just Fry being so inactive. But the the Mortal Kombat style, you know, uh, fatality, kiss of death, knockout. No, I did not see that coming from Pollyanna Viana. No, this was, this was my favorite finish of the night, actually. Mm-hmm. Knocked just her outstanding. Knocked her outstanding. <laughs> like, fin- followed her to the ground, a set of uh, unanswered hammer fists, and they had the nerve to call this a TKO. That was disgusting. Well, Even Wiki says it's a KO. That was absolutely, she was out on her feet, like actually knocked out. And man, like, um, Mark Goddard even recently, he laid out what the exact difference between a TKO and a knockout was for all those out there who don't know how they classify one or the other. And TKO is is not defending themselves, and knockout is cannot defend themselves. That's the difference. Jin Yu Price was not capable of defending herself. No. There was no brain function going to any of the limbs out there when she hit by the time she hit the ground not only that but she wasn't even defending she wasn't even able to defend herself during the onslaught on the feet no yeah like she was she was getting bapped up and yep. she's like backing up just getting bapped not blocking a single just face blocking and yeah well, she I mean, went out she fell back like a tree the hand yeah. fist landed like that's a KO. It's a KO. It was she was knocked out three punches before she hit the ground. So Man, it's such a sweet finish. It really was. And then that kiss on the forehead afterward. <laughs> that's just cruel. That's some Yoel Romero shit right there. Can you fry? I didn't even know what was going on. No. She's like, "Who is this in my face kissing me?" What's right. When my fights start, come on. Yeah. It's this nonsense. All right, that brings us to a bantamweight bout: Johnny Munoz Jr., Ludwig Shalinian, and um, really bad fight from Shalinian. I kind of don't even remember this fight. That's because Shalinian did not do anything other than walk on to jabs. Yeah, and I just remember him plotting forward, being unsuccessful, doing a lot of missing, and getting he, getting just tagged. He didn't even really try that much stuff until the third round when he one judge gave him the round. I gave him the round two and round three when he actually started just, hey, maybe I should throw at this guy and hit him. He started hurting Munoz, but every minute before that, he looked like he didn't want to be out there. Which was weird because he was coming forward. Yeah, but he just wasn't. <laughs> He was listless and not doing anything, and it was just a terrible fight. So, yeah. Munoz gets the win. Shalinian maybe just not ready to be in the UFC at this point. Could be. All right. That brings us to a catchweight, flyweight bout. Jake Hadley, Carlos Candelario. And I was so ready for this because I picked Can- Candelario going in. And I was just like, you know what? He scrambled really well with Tetsuro Tyra. He's never been submitted before. Hadley loves to pull guard. I'm picking Candelario, and I'm absolutely sure that this is going to be the first time he gets submitted, just to spite me. <laughs> it was you, Zane. It was me. I knew it was coming. 
And uh, yeah, Hadley kind of tuned him up on the feet. And then the first time Candelario shot, Hadley immediately pulled guard. And I'm like, see, see, why are you not just like taking this guy down? He will pull guard and play off his back. And then he submitted him. So, you know. Yeah, no, this was um, this was a fun fight. I it really was. enjoyed this. Yeah, they were just going back and forth in the first, not much feeling out. A lot of phone booth fighting. Yeah, beautiful combos back and forth. It was really competitive, mm-hmm. and uh, I felt like Hadley started to pull away the longer the round went on. Yeah, he, he was to, a little cleaner, a little tighter, a little faster. It, it, it looked like he started to take the fight from Candelario. Like Candelario didn't have the same sort of moxie he had to start the fight. That same sort of gusto. A lot of it, body punching. Hadley started nailing him to the liver side with kicks and the hooks. Every t- and he countered Candelario up top every time Candelario tried to do the same to him. Candelario would throw a one-two to the body, body and Hadley would hit him with a hook over the top of it. And then he started going to the body. And you could see Candelario's elbow start dropping over and over to his, his liver side. He, he really didn't like it. Yeah, and that pace. I don't think he liked the pace of the fight either. That was a really frenzied pace. So it makes sense why he was shooting in the second round. And when he did, it was successful immediately. But, you know, you can see why Hadley was so willing to play guard his last time around in the fight he lost because he's still got a pretty nasty guard game. Yeah, I was starting to get concerned for his legs when he he started to just throw the elbows yeah. with the triangle because that's usually a bad sign. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But it seemed like he wasn't even making adjustments. He was just holding the position and using it uh, to elbow. And I was like, man, if he if if he doesn't get out of this round, um, like end it, he he's yeah. gonna be pretty gassed going into the third. But he uh. You know, he just used the moment to land his strikes, cut open Candelario, and then he cut the angle and was able to fully lock in the triangle, get the arm across, and get yep. the tap. Good win. Good good showing for Hadley. Makes me a lot more interested to see what he can do in the flyweight division going forward. That brings us finally to a woman's bantamweight bout, Tamiraz Vidal against Ramona Pasquale. And... Uh, an okay, tepid, kind of sticky back and forth. Both women landing low kicks and jabs and the Vidal, the occasional wild overhand kind of fight. Right up until she hit that flying switch knee to the liver. That was pretty as hell. Yeah, who throws a jump and switch knee to the body? <laughs> right? Like Vidal does. It's, it's like someone accidentally hit certain buttons on the controller and didn't even know what they did. That's like, right. I did, I did a special. I didn't even know what I could do. Real pretty finish. I mean, it, at the very least, Vidal is, you know, she's clearly a pretty decent athlete. So uh, the more time she gets to train and get comfortable in the sport, there's there's a lot of chances for her to improve and to make some big leaps in her game. So. Oh, man, it was so pitiful <laughs> watching Pasquale get just brutalized to the body. She drops down, right? Yeah. And then, like, as she's standing up, Vidal just runs in and starts just piecing her up. Yeah. It's like, oh, that, that's that got to suck. That's got to yeah. be a horrible place to be. It really does. Oh. So, yeah, all told, like, we talked about a bunch of finishes. The card was interesting in some ways they had i'll tell you what zane i feel i I feel way more enthusiastic having ran through it all all right all right on the back end of it it's just it's a little more fun yeah i just needed a refresher i needed to rethink about all the cool finishes we got even though the relevancy was at an all-time high yeah 
And maybe eight months from now, we'll see some somebody in court over this whole thing, too. So. Yeah, no kidding. Big scandal coming out of this one here. Yeah, it could be. All right. On that note, you can find me on Twitter at Time. You can find Eddie on Twitter at Mercado. You can find both of us over at BloodyElbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcasts on the Bloody Elbow Presents uh, podcast network on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those places. And we'll be back in one week's time for UFC 281, Adesanya vs. Pereira. Thanks, everyone, and uh, see you then. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com.